Hello and welcome to this episode of Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTO Craft and Skiller Whale, and it was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow. On Stack Overflow, questions have a single right answer, and questions can be closed and archived because they're considered primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer. They're primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we're going to take one of those questions, talk about a range of answers and the context that makes them appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO of Skiller Well. We do deep coaching for tech teams, which is individually personalized, hands-on sessions with a live expert delivered remotely in one-hour chunks. I'm an experienced startup CTO. I've been running tech leader dinners for the last three or four years, and I've been a CTO coach. And across all of those experiences, I've noticed that the same questions come up again and again, but with different answers every time. And that's because context is critical. Today, we're going to talk about whether you should focus on a sales-led or a product-led approach to growth. And I'm very happy to be joined by Lewis Moore. Lewis, hi, tell us about yourself. Hey, Howell. Thanks for having me. I'm Lewis. I started my career as an engineer in video streaming tech and video streaming apps uh, at Amazon, Microsoft first, and then Amazon after that, working on Xbox apps and, and other kind of living room devices. And then I joined Trail in 2015 in the early team as an engineer. Trail is a hospitality checklist app for kind of completing tasks day to day on site on kind of multi-site operations. So any kind of high street chain these days kind of uses trail to do their food safety checks and stuff like that i moved up the ranks through head of engineering and became cto for the last few years of my time there and then we were acquired last year by the access group so we had a nice successful exit and then earlier this year i joined evidenced in engineering in the early team evidenced is an interview intelligence platform it's it's kind of everything you need to run a great interview in one place with recording and transcription templates and shadowing and candidate feedback and all that good stuff. Thanks for that, Lewis. And I'm excited for this topic of sales and product-led growth, because I think that's a very relevant one for a lot of our audience. And I guess I wanted to start by being explicit here. We're talking about growth that comes from sales or product, not organizations that we call sales or product-led. And I think there is a difference there, right? Yeah, I think so. I think we, so from my experience, sales-led growth is typically when someone is kind of coming to knock and tell you they've got something you'll find interesting. Whereas product-led growth is when you, you search for something, you find it, you sign up, and you never really have to speak to a person. And there are businesses that can operate in both ways, but you can you can kind of approach growth through either of those. And I guess that's an important distinction, right, is the level of human involvement in the two that sales-led ultimately involves the person in the organization who is helping to make the sale happen where product-led, we aim for people to not be involved, for no human to be involved on company side when making the sale, which sounds more scalable, but much harder, right? Is that, a, is that a fair summary, do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's a really good summary. I think typically product-led growth comes with maturity of a product or company. And you'll often see that sales-led is, is a a kind of route chosen by earlier stage companies where the product isn't mature enough to carry someone all the way through the funnel and convert them. I think customers will drop out and, and kind of abandon a product quite quickly if they don't get a great experience. Whereas in the early stage when the product might have kind of holes, the, the sales team can patch over those. Customer success team, anyone doing the onboarding can kind of make sure the customer has a great experience all the way through. And you need to kind of build up a bit more uh, product maturity, put more time and effort and energy into 
giving a great first experience as a customer, being able to completely self-serve your billing and, and set up and everything else if you, if you don't want any humans involved. Yeah, you need a much stronger product if there's no human to kind of, as you said, like paper over the cracks, because the product has to enable people to sign up, try things out and be able to be usable, be able to sort of show itself off almost without someone who knows it and understands it already to guide you around. Yeah. What do you see as the benefits? Because that's obviously a lot of work, right? Like it, it takes time and effort to get to a mature product where that's all possible. Should everyone be doing that? What What's the, the kind of the things that you gain by being more product led? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it does take a lot of time and effort. So you have to kind of figure out whether it's the right choice for your business and market that you're in. The benefits we've seen in the past are, are kind of a very wide top of funnel you get a, a much higher initial kind of acquisition rate as the barrier to entry is really low. If you have a free tier or free product, a free trial, anyone can jump in and kind of sign up on the website. The cost of acquisition is typically much lower than sales-led once you get your product-led approach up and running. Because again, you don't need the time that humans spend to kind of onboard those customers. And because of that, you can target smaller customers like lower lower kind of lifetime value customers so in trails case we we could target more like an independent cafe whereas previously using a sales team to a target an independent cafe wouldn't have been sustainable and i think also you can you can sometimes see a higher retention rate in the longer term if your product is able to demonstrate value very quickly and consistently without people needing to sell that value to you i think the retention rate can sometimes be higher for product-led companies yeah, that makes sense. If part of the requirement for getting to being product-led is maturity, then you'd expect that to come with, with a good retention rate anyway and, and happier happier customers, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what has that looked like in your own career? Where have you seen the kind of two approaches used and what are your reflections on that? Yeah, so at Trail, yeah, when we started, we were we were sales led. The hospitality industry is is quite traditionally sales led, or was, you know, in kind of 2015 when we started, people were very used to picking up the phone, uh, being sold to over the phone or email, and the product was was very early stage. So it was the kind of best choice for us for the sales team to go out and, and sell the product, as we said. The other thing is we were we were carving a new category, really, like this kind of hospitality operation software didn't really exist in the in the kind of wider market we didn't have at that time we didn't have any direct competition so i think if where product led works well for an early stage company is if you're trying to disrupt some incumbents and it's very clear like okay you're using product a we have product b which is cheaper and better and faster you can advertise that everyone is like they completely already get it i'm already have a budget for this product i can see how i would reassign that budget to you great whereas with trail they didn't have a budget for our kind of product they had a, a paper budget so our kind of closest competitor was was paper people were making these recordings every day on paper so but it's, it's much harder in the early stages to for the product to completely sell itself in that way so the sales team needed to kind of convince people that we could save them money by switching from paper to our product um the other thing is that we it, it involved a lot of internal business change so I think, again, product-led is good. If your product doesn't require much internal business change, if you can just pick it up and give it a go and use it, then that's great. But sales-led is good for products that involve a lot of internal change management. That was one of the biggest challenges we had at Trail. You need lots of human touch points and onboarding, and you need a good champion in the product uh, in the company to help sell that product internally. So, yeah, we needed that early on, and we were, we were sales-led for many years. 
and then over the lifetime of the company, we we saw a kind of slow move for the hospitality industry to be more open to kind of product-led approaches. They kind of often wanted to sign up and try something for free before kind of paying for it. And then the pandemic accelerated that and, and people were much more happy to be sold remotely and, and to try something without speaking to many people. So we kind of used some of the lockdown time where our customers were closed to fill in some of the final gaps in the product that enabled it to be fully self-sign up and self-service. We've been chipping away at those, but we had a few final bigger holes where there were things that our support team had to get involved in or our customer success team had to get involved in if you wanted a certain change made. So we we, we built product-led versions of those, self-service versions of those, and they that, you know, did a few other changes, like brought in self-service billing and a few other things so that we could widen that top of funnel coming out of the first lockdown and enable any new independents that were opening and taking advantage of those high street closures to sign up and use trail for free before kind of giving it a go and then and then turning into subscribing customers Mm. that's super interesting because it, it sounds like actually for you there was a change in your market that meant that you could make that switch maybe faster than you would have done otherwise it sounds like a lot of it is about like we talked a few times about product and the need for that to mature but I guess there's also a need for maturity in understanding the customer. And I know this as sort of technical people in a technical podcast, this isn't so much our area, but I'm guessing yeah. that the kind of marketing team over the lifetime of the company also got better at describing what they did so that in the end, that became language that could go on a, a public facing marketing site. But did you see that change? Yeah, we definitely did. And that's another really good point is is another kind of vote for one or the other is that for early stage, like founder-led sales, you really need to start sales-led so that you can develop you know, your product with customer feedback in mind. And, and I think the same applies to marketing and the messaging you're using and the brand. And if you were in a place where you knew that your customers were talking positively about you to each other and recommending the product, is that enough of a sign to start thinking about product-led growth or is there more to it? Yeah, that, I think that was definitely our biggest sign. I think that, yeah, that makes sense. That We were fortunate enough to be in, in a position where customers were recommending us and talking positively about us. I think that's kind of good social proof and, and understanding how much people were recommending us was definitely the biggest signal for us. I think the hospitality industry has quite quite high kind of churn between businesses, not only at at site level where, you know, staff members and and managers of sites are moving between different kind of high street chains, but also at head office level, people are kind of rotating in and out of their roles quite regularly in operations and other management. So we saw recommendations both at the kind of site level and the head office level. We were tracking that. I think we got to the point where something like 50% of everyone we spoke to had heard of us and was recommended or, or, or kind of told to check us out by someone else. So we got like quite a high saturation of like recommendations. The other signals for us was were, were kind of the product was our strength. Product was our key differentiator when positioned against competitors that did that did come come up over the few years that we were kind of um, working in the hospitality space. Hospitality software is traditionally not very well serviced and and there's these kind of 20 year old products that have been around for a very long time run by older companies so we were you know product and ux was was our kind of main differentiator so it, it kind of made sense for us to lean into that and the last thing for us i think was that we wanted to keep growing without having to add lots more heads in the kind of sales customer success and support teams in line with that growth so we wanted to kind of get more value out of each team member 
And Trail specifically got to the point where, you know, it definitely was a hybrid still and still is. Like, I think you you can't, it's very difficult to make a complete switch. Like, something like 20% of revenue is, is kind of what they what they determine as self-service and the rest still needs a, some kind of customer success or, or management there. But, like most of the kind of uh, new customers come from an original inbound position and are kind of asking us for uh, for a demo or to try the product before we have to go out and do cold outreach. Uh, and sales team, the sales team would typically get involved for a kind of bigger, uh, any bigger customer, anyone that comes in over a certain size. So I think for us, yeah, it was, it was social proof and product being our strength against competitors and not wanting to kind of grow headcount in line with customers. Hmm. And that makes complete sense. And I think that's a, that's a really valuable point as well, that it's, it doesn't have to be an absolute, either you're fully product-led in your growth or you're fully sales-led. Probably every organization is to some extent both, or at least has the, the capability to be. And, yeah, and I think so. you've, you've talked about a few different factors that are part of that, you know, the, the, the maturity of the product, but also the cost of the license, because people who are paying a million pounds a year are going to have a very different feel about whether they speak to a human or not than people who are paying a hundred pounds a year um, for yeah. for whatever it is that you're selling. And you mentioned as well earlier about the need for a champion inside the customer, the, the need to having someone who can be, I don't know, standing up and celebrating the product and trying to get it adopted. Did that become harder when you moved to product-led growth or was there a way that you could find those people and then give them the kind of the tools to still be that champion without having spoken to someone in the company that's a really interesting question finding the champion was definitely part of the strategy for a long time like we we identified the buyer and the champion in our kind of in the data that we held for for each customer and we wanted to make sure we were talking to the champion regularly as in the kind of earlier stages of the company i think the it's definitely harder to do product-led. We put a lot of time into our onboarding, the kind of product onboarding flow and trying to get the person who signed up, assuming they were going to become the champion, trying to get them to buy into the product as quickly as possible is, is one way that we, we tried to do that. So you can, I think one of the important things with product-led is bringing value or the, the kind of aha moment that a customer has as early as possible in their kind of experience of your product. And if you can't do that, which was a little bit more difficult for trail and is we're finding difficult for evidence, but because I think the, the value is a bit, a little bit kind of longer term where, you know, in trails case, it was that your sites run much more effectively and in evidence case that you make fewer bad hires and more good hires. You the best next, the next kind of best thing you can do is, is get people engaged in an action in the product that, that, uh, the core action. So in trails case, completing tasks, like creating completing tasks and making that as, as uh, impactful as possible so we put in a, a bunch of onboarding and a nice guide to get that, the, the initial champion up and running and, and give them the best possible experience and then support was we still had human touch points with almost every customer like any customer could access our, our kind of intercom chat support so having a really good support team that was like friendly and funny and was really helpful and replied quickly was something else that we kept hearing in recommendations was that you know we've heard your support's the best your support's the best 
And I think we, we really, you know, put a lot of effort into making sure our support team was that people knew the names of the people in the support team and they could kind of contact them uh, regularly. And we didn't have to scale the support team much at all over the growth of the, the kind of customer base because of the work we put into the self-service side of the product. But uh, yeah, that was another really good way we could keep champions engaged even for the much smaller self-service clients. It's super interesting because it sounds like part of the transition is rather than having the sales team tell you about the market and what they're hearing and that influence the product and the marketing that you put out there, it sounds like that really moves to the customer success team who tell you about the misunderstandings people have about the product and what does and doesn't work for them. Um, and that becomes a bigger feedback loop for how you how you improve product and engineering. Yeah, definitely. The I think the customer success team, we, we didn't have a separate implementation team. The customer success team was doing onboarding and implementation. So, But their time shifted slowly towards much more kind of value add and, and regular check-ins where they were trying to become kind of subject matter experts and they were we were recommending changes to people's tasks and the way they were structuring the work that they did every day. And they became much more about, yeah, gathering product feedback and value add rather than helping people to initially on board and understand the product. I find the whole topic very interesting because it's it's one of the kind of core problems that companies face, especially early stage companies, is how do you quickly communicate what's valuable? And in the beginning, mm. that, that really has to be a human. And then over time, you know, you want to take yourself out of that, that process. I have a friend who I was giving some advice to a couple of weeks ago who's coming at this from the other angle. He has a product that's working really well and is completely free. He's got uh, like hundreds of thousands of users in total in his user base and oh, yeah. thousands or ten, tens of thousands that are active every week. And now he wants to try and make a small amount of passive income from the thing he's already made. So rather than making something that is paid for and then try and make it self-serve, he's made something that's self-serve and is now trying to make it paid for. Yeah. I was trying to help him with identifying those kind of questions of how do you get people to that aha moment? How do you show them what's good about the thing and make them want more and make them willing to pay a small amount of money to see the value that's kind of beyond the free experience? Yeah, it's interesting that the I guess you're coming in from another direction, but the middle is kind of, seems like it's kind of the same whichever way you come at it, right? Which is, like you say, that aha moment and convincing people to pay. Another challenge that I'm sure they will face that we faced was was like public pricing and breaking down the product into tiers, right? We, we had a much cheaper tier for independence and you, you want to figure out which feature set is more useful for larger companies and that people are more likely to kind of pay for. And I'm sure they'll be going through the same process if they want to build features to layer on top of their current free product. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, tiering price, I think pricing honestly could be the subject of a whole podcast yeah. in itself. Sort of philosophy strategies for it just sort of nightmarish but also deeply fascinating yeah when have you in the past made a, a conscious decision about whether you're going to go for growth that is product-led or sales-led and how do you decide when to change that because we talked about signals and things you could look at to know that you could change it what frequency are you thinking about that again and saying should i go sales-led or product-led now no i should stick with what i'm doing how often do you reevaluate? So looking at, at where we are with, with evidence at the moment, it's been definitely been a little bit of a mix of the two. When we started, there was no product in this space as a real kind of reference point uh, similar to, to Trail. So we, we got to a very early kind of proof of concept and actually built some of those early like product self-service uh, features so people could sign up and try it early so that we could gather feedback 
and kind of then at that point, once the product was up and running, we switched to that more sales-led approach, that founder sales-led really approach so that we could get as much product insight as possible, you know, as we're trying to find product market fit and get to what is a really useful value proposition. So I think early days, we we had both options ahead of us. Product-led was kind of insurmountable for evidence at that point. I think because where because of where talent teams sit in a in a typical business, they can be hesitant to try a product that's unfinished because they have touch points throughout the whole business. They if they bring something on board that they're not 100% confident in, they're telling every other team in the business to use it for their interviews. But I think if you have a product where one team are happy to sign up and try something early and it only impacts them and their team, uh, then you know that's a, a kind of a very different proposition. With us, we didn't really have that luxury. That's another excellent point, actually, about the social risk involved in your product. If your product requires people to tell a hundred others for it to be useful, then it's much harder to be product led because people will need a lot of confidence before they're willing to do that. I suppose the flip side is when you achieve a really good product with that, you've got more virality baked in. And so if you can get it to product led, the kind of exponential growth is is sitting there waiting for you. Yeah, sure. How do you see these two alternatives, sales-led growth and product-led growth, how do you see them playing out when you start considering building new products and new features? The reason I ask is because I think in principle, sales-led growth should give you more contact with your customer and with your prospects and therefore better intelligence on what they what they need and what they want. But on the other hand, sometimes sales teams can be quite short term. They've got targets to hit for the next six months. And so they're not thinking about the, the total cost of ownership of the new product or the kind of knock on impact. They might just be, you know, their priority probably rightly is to hit their targets. And so the, there's a potential for them to kind of lead you in and suboptimal direction from an engineering perspective. How do you think about that? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that it comes down to maybe the the stage you're at again. Uh, I think early stage there is definitely temptation to, and I think often you you need to do this where where you kind of build a feature that a big customer or an important customer is asking for. And you may well be swayed by something that a specific customer wants uh, in uh, in the earlier days. And I think as you become more mature, it can be a little bit easier to to try not to be kind of swayed by that. But sometimes, yeah, you still have to kind of weigh the balance of that feature. I've found that we often customers may kind of ask for something and then it will come through the filter of, of the sales team that may interpret it in a certain way. And you need to kind of take a step back with your product team and engineering team and figure out whether the solution that's been proposed is the solution that the customer, what we think the customer really wants. And you can go out and get more feedback at that point. Um, and, and often it's good to try and if you do feel like there's a, there's a way to, I guess, please both the, the kind of larger or enterprise customer that might be asking for a feature, but also the majority of your customer base, then that's the kind of sweet spot you want to try and hit is find a middle ground that fits in with your product strategy and your roadmap and still solves the core problem that that customer is looking to have solved. Absolutely. I think I think customers and sales teams are really valuable for telling us what the problem is. And I think yeah. when they tell us solutions, part of our job is to kind of work back and work out what the, the problem was and then to either resolve it and get to the same place or solve it in a different way that is going to work for the product we have or for the other customers. Yeah, I can think of 
projects I worked on that were heavily specced up by the customer and there'd be instructions that, you know, we needed a form that looked exactly like this and that was how the user was going to sign up or whatever. And I'd say, oh, that form doesn't actually have a submit button. Like, is it all right to add one? Because I think our job is to be is to be solving things and to know how things work and customers um, and salespeople probably need to specialize in in other things. Yeah. What, what does that process look like in an organization that's growing through product? In my experience, the best way to kind of approach that is, is to kind of map your map the funnel. So uh, we, at Trail and, and Evidence, we use the Pirate Metrics uh, kind of uh, funnel that I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with, AAA, RRR. And we kind of map the funnel, made sure we could measure it. And then we put goals in place where we wanted to improve numbers at key points along that funnel. And then customer feedback would come into projects in, on that funnel just as any other. So whether it was an internal product suggestion or, or kind of one from a customer or a lead that come in and we'd, we'd kind of ice score it and figure out whether, you know, how confident we were that that change or that feature would improve the part, the part of the funnel that we were most interested in improving. And retention is one of those, right? So whether it's going to retain a key customer can be, can push it right up the kind of priority list if it's, it's going to retain a customer that's very important to determine whether or not they were going to move the numbers in the right direction. One of the things I'm conscious of is we've largely been talking about B2B for the mm. customer um, in this in this kind of hypothetical scenario. I think with B2C, it's probably quite different in that generally B2C, you're going to be asking for smaller amounts of money and people aren't going to be expecting to have individual contact unless you know, you've produced something that's very expensive, designed for very high net worth individuals you know it's it's a yacht management company or something presumably b2b we can break down a bit more so if you're thinking about products for smes versus enterprises how does that affect your thinking about whether you can be product or sales led in your growth yeah i think that's it's very that's one of the most important points actually in terms of your uh, the kind of customers that you're you're approaching product led as we kind of said before typically has a, a lower cost of acquisition once once you've reached that maturity, a lower cost of acquisition, which means that you can target lower customers with a lower lifetime value, so smaller, kind of more independent or, or mid-market customers. Um, Sales-led, typically the, the amount of the, the time and, and effort and cost that goes into uh, sales-led approaches means that uh, they're best for, com- for customers that bring in a, a much higher lifetime value, so mid-market and above. I think for enterprise, from my experience, they will always need the sales-led, or not sales-led, but the sales team and customer success team to, to get involved. I think it's unlikely that an enterprise customer will sign up for a free trial, convert, and, and roll out the, the product across their whole organization without speaking to anyone. There are many more touch points, loads more decision makers and buyers typically in an enterprise organization that has to kind of weigh in on that product. So I think if you are product-led, your sales team will definitely or should definitely be monitoring the people that are signing up and, and seeing if anyone from a larger organization signs up to give it a go. And at that point, they should be trying to find more decision makers and people in that organization to, to touch base with and, and figure out why they've approached the website, why they've signed up and what they're kind of looking to get out of your product. Absolutely. And I think for me, Slack is someone who did really well at combining those too. In the early days of Slack, you know, it was so easy to sign up that 
at least everyone I knew in startup land was immediately using Slack. And even in bigger enterprises, I think Slack had this kind of guerrilla infiltration almost where the high level corporate owners of the enterprise would have, or owners of organizations would have no idea that Slack was being used. Um, yeah. And it was only being used on for, for free kind of projects. And then over time, it was so dominant uh, <laughs> within um, an organization that they could go and talk to the management and say, well, you're already using us, like you might as well pay us to get the best features. So uh, while I'm speaking, it's reminding me of the bindweed, which is currently trying to take over my garden. And I feel like um, <laughs> that kind of guerrilla approach of like just coming in from the bottom and like growing up around the existing plants is the way to do it. Sort of product led to get your foot in the door and then involve the sales team to start making money. Yeah, I think that's ideal. If you can get to that position, that's amazing. I mean, at, at, at Treo and Hospitality, the, the, the equivalent of that would have been that we went to every pub in a big chain and, and got every individual kind of pub manager using the app and then tried to get the head office team to kind of listen and understand that. Um, and we definitely did see that it's more in franchises, but we definitely did see it where, where kind of uh, sites were signing up. I think it becomes it's become a bit more difficult for us to do that evidence, which we'd love to do, but um, interviewing involves like candidate data and lots of other like personal information and stuff. And it can be more difficult for an individual in a big organization to decide to use a tool like that. So it depends, yeah, what your product is, I think. But if you can get to that position, that's great. This is it. And I think this is another factor that should be informing how, how people think about that, right? Is compliance. Like if you, if you have to be concerned about GDPR, for example, that's probably going to involve some level of checking over the T's and C's of what you do by an enterprise or um, by any medium or large company. Yeah. And so as soon as you touch on something like that, you can't really have, you can't really be giving it away in the same way. And I think also the point about what is free is, is a really important one, because if you can mm. make some part of it free and people pay for features, that's very different from making it free for a period of time and then paid for extensions beyond that time. All of those change the kind of profile of the sign-up process, which then change how you should think about growth. Yeah, definitely. They also change the value, the perceived value of your product, I think, right? We, we wanted to consider that as a free trial is one thing, but having a freemium tier or a very low price tier can reduce the perceived value of what would otherwise be seen as a very premium product. Lewis, I've really enjoyed this chat and I want to say thank you so much for, for being here today and sharing your thoughts and your experience. Yeah, me too. Thanks very much for having me. Join us again next time on The Pod when I will be talking about how tech can influence business decisions with Sally Late, who is the VP of Engineering at Farewell and has previously been a Senior Engineering Manager at Monzo Bank.